0: What's up, Pete? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Today, we are at the PASMA Conference. So we've got a couple of things from the PASMA Conference um, that we've recorded, and we're going to put them on a podcast. So first things first, we have our keynote. So I went and did a keynote at the PASMA Conference. It's kind of like just a, a big statement, essentially. It's got a few high-level kind of quotations and stuff. So for those of you that are quite mature in the world of, like, bringing resilience, engineering, human performance, science-based stuff... Uh, uh, into safety and risk management this might be a little bit like meh um, for those of you that are relatively new to this stuff think you might get a nice introduction uh, to the world out of this let's jump into the intro and i'll tell you some more about it let's go the problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding Safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Blue. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell or if you're on spotify or whatever it is just hit follow my name is james but first i'm your host for today and i am also the managing director of risk fluent which is the company that sits behind Rebounded and safety so if you need some help changing your culture you need some help with your operational risk safety whatever it is give us a bell and we can help you so today we have a keynote from when i was at the pasma conference so the pasma uh group association is a body for you know those mobile scaffolding towers it's for those so they're the body that kind of approved the trainers and all of that stuff um they were doing a big launch event combined with their annual event to launch this new app that they're doing um so we were asked to kind of come along and do do a keynote around they wanted like an introduction to like culture and human performance type stuff so like I said in the in the kind of hook in the beginning of the episode if you're quite mature on this stuff then this might be a bit like yeah just easy listening for you, you know what I mean I don't think it's gonna be anything groundbreaking um, it's just really us just talking about kind of what we've done what we've learned and how we kind of use all of these theories and implement them into predominantly like medium-sized businesses small businesses what i call like normal working world um so but a lot of it is like helicopter uh, kind of high level statements so like i say i hope you get something from it but if you are quite mature you're probably going to know a lot of everything that we've spoke about if you're new to resilience and kind of science based risk management safety science all of that stuff then this might be quite a good introduction for you Uh, i'll stop waffling on and um If you listen to this on like audio based things like Spotify, you can also go and watch this on YouTube. One last thing to say before we get into the room was quite close to another keynote that's going on. So you can just hear someone else talking quite quietly in the background. Uh, Apologies if that's irritating to you. There's nothing we can do about it, unfortunately. Um, But you should be able to hear me talk quite clearly. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and I'll catch you later. In a nutshell, we tried to take what we'd started in rebranding safety and bring that over to the company to make sure we we really stay true to what we set out to do when I did randomly download an app and start waffling into a microphone. Um, So we took rebranding safety and we made that our purpose. So as an organisation, we are trying to make the working world a bit better by rebranding safety one interaction at a time. And hopefully when I finish this, the one interaction at a time thing will start to make sense. Um, We have some values and principles that help us do that. Um, We like like to value people-centred work, so we like to put the people right at the centre of what we're doing, and we like to do work that delivers actual impact. We have some principles. Um, There's a lot cruder way that we say this, but uh, I thought, given we don't really know who we're talking to, we'll put the nice version on there, which is uh, we only work with businesses that care. You can work out what the crude version is yourself. Um, We don't do health and safety go mad and we don't do tick boxes. Why did I put this on here though? Because it wasn't just for me to talk about risk fluent this slide. This is actually something called an ethical framework. So if you, when you go home tonight, you download something called the best practice guide to culture, I think it is by the Ethics Centre in Australia. And they'll tell you that the core of a culture, of an organization's culture, is an ethical framework, having a good purpose that actually people can feel and grab onto and some values and principles to help you deliver that purpose. And they say that's really important. So that was one of the first things we did. But at this point, I think most people start to think rebranding safety great, another gimmick. If you've been in safety, you'll have probably got a good vibe for behaviour-based safety versus new view or safety differently or safety one, two, and it just gets a bit exhausting, really. And it's really hard to go. Right, okay, I know what I'm doing. And then some young guy comes along and starts chatting shit on a podcast and says, rebranding safety, great, it's another gimmick. Um, It's not a gimmick. It's really kind of what we're trying to do is communicate what all of these things are. And one of the things we've done through rebranding safety is to say, essentially, we're at a buffet of all of these tools of safety. So don't just have one. Don't commit yourself to a tribalistic approach of one. Just think about what, what works for you. But ultimately, at the core of this, we are still trying to change the perception of safety. Because ultimately, how it is portrayed is not really how I think most of us would align what safety actually is. This is an Instagram story um, about an apprenticeship. They were trying to sell apprenticeships. And I looked at this picture and I thought, Jesus, look at that guy. He's absolutely covered in PPE. And it looks like he's in a perfectly finished building building. Um, and (laughs) I think that's what they think our safety professionals do all the time is wear that stuff like go to bed wearing PPE get up wearing PPE eat breakfast wearing PPE go for a run wearing PPE whatever you do you're obviously wearing PPE and I thought that's not what this is all about that doesn't look reasonable or practicable for me and this portrayal of safety has a knock-on effect and that knock-on effect is how it's perceived Um, so this was a post just over here on Facebook, this one was a post, not actually in this heat wave that we just had, it was actually a couple of years ago, and somebody was complaining about the amount of PPE they have to wear on construction sites, and saying that this just doesn't work, we're, we're really hot, we're dying. people are getting hurt or, or unfortunately dying from heat exhaustion, and they were saying what's going on with this PPE, and it was the comments that really gave me an insight into how safety is portrayed on the shop floor. I won't read out the one on the left, you can read it yourself, there's supposed to be some stars here, which on my thing works really well, on here, so, I don't know what that word is, but, um, so yeah, uh, health and safety, or we get more done without health and safety. And, you know, we can sit and laugh about it and it is funny but this is true, this is how people see it and we've had a real big insight into this um, when starting the business and working with small business owners and actually actually, this is not far off reality as to how people perceive safety and there is a really, really harsh and horrible um, reality to this in that 123 people died at work in 2021 to 2022. And, and that's their, and That's their names. It um, always makes my hair stand up and tingle with this slide. And I've used this quite a lot. Um, so that's their names and their ages. And in there, there is um, just about, I don't know if this laser will work. There you go. Uh, that's father and son just there. Passed away, unfortunately, when the lift failed on a construction site and just plummeted down to the ground. Uh, it's a horrible story. And nearly every one of those are a horrible stories. So why do I put the, the, the names on the screen? I think it's really important to remember that they are names, that they are people and I think we see these statistics from the HSC every single year and it looks like that and it always says this line has remained broadly flat for the last 10 years. It's actually been over a decade this line has remained broadly flat. Roughly speaking 130 people and sometimes it's more sometimes it's less, die every single year in Britain. And I think all of those things and the way that we portray safety have a knock-on effect in that this relationship that we have between doing safety and how that's seen on the shop floor, it's not helping. Stress is increasing at work, increases year on year, and we know we've got a mental health crisis in the UK, and work is contributing to that. Occupational health figures are just frankly scary, but some groups... They even say that those figures aren't even close. I don't know if anyone's ever checked out the hazard campaign, um, but they do quite a lot of work. And they say that actually the HSE stats are way off the truth, which is even more scary. So if you want to download the whole story report, um, you can really get into that. And this is just a kind of summary of that report that they have on the first page. And I won't go into each one of those. If we haven't got time, but it is a really eye-opening report. And it really kind of pulls you away to think, well, we do need to do a bit more. So how I came across this is a guy called Vince Butler. If you're on LinkedIn in safety, you'll come across Vince. You can't not come across Vince. He's absolutely everywhere um, on LinkedIn. So we had him on the podcast because obviously he was making some big claims. And uh, if you want to listen to it, it's episode 188. And it came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he said this one liner here, which really, really struck me. I thought, yeah, we, we need to carry on doing what we're doing. He said, it must be cheaper to kill than to care. Otherwise, we'd have fixed this years ago. Which when you really hear that out loud, it feels uncomfortable to say and uncomfortable to hear. Um, But when you do think about it, and I reflected on it quite a lot after talking to Vince, and I think, yeah, Jesus, do you know what? If the economy uh, had remained broadly flat for the last decade, we'd do something about it. If interest rates had remained broadly flat, particularly where they are now, we would have done something about it. But this has remained broadly flat and we don't seem to have done much about it. So it's really interesting and a bit scary. I think one of the things we need to remember is that safety is one part of a wider dynamic factor that is work. This is Rasmussen's dynamic safety model. You can get this available on the internet. Just Google Rasmussen if you can spell it. Uh, It is down here. I still struggle to spell it and I use this all the time. Um, But basically what he says is that We are basically this dot in the middle, when you're in a boardroom, when you're on the shop floor, whatever. And you are constantly trying to avoid three points of failure. Economic failure, resource failure and performance failure. And safety sits in here and the performance failure. And all of these are interrelated. But what he says is that actually we just bounce around here all the time. Sometimes we want a really tight budget. Sometimes, maybe we're about to procure for a contract, we really wanted to win it, but we know the margins are really tight. So we might push that a little bit. We might put less people on the team because we don't want to break that budget and so on. But standing around and saying, you know, safety first, or safety is everything, it, it, it's not relative to a real working world. And we need to accept that we are balancing everything. And I think if you were back to the 1974 Act, it's a beautiful piece of legislation that actually says that. Be reasonable and be practicable. It doesn't say be the gold standard for absolutely everything. So where something is dangerous, 100%, let's get far and far away from this line. But where it's not, maybe we need to let it flex a little bit and be reasonable and be practicable. So we must be better and and we can be better. How do we do that? We normally start with culture, right? Everyone likes to use the word culture, particularly safety culture. um, But actually, it's a bit woolly. I think we talk about it a lot and none of us really know how do we grab onto that and how do we do something with that. Um, I really like Carsten Bush's work around this, I want to read his book, Um, I can't remember the title of it because it's about three paragraphs long um, but I will be able to find it and if you are sure I can Google it and send you the link but it's a great bit of work and I really like Carsten as an academic because he's an academic but also a practitioner um, and also he's a bit of a geek as well so we can talk about Star Wars and stuff which I love but he says something in his book and this, this one liner here doesn't really do it justice but It is really nice. I'm going to kind of summarise his his theory. But he basically says safety culture is not about the individual, but it's about what happens between individuals. So what we can take from that is that it's interactions, right? Each interaction is like a vote to the culture that we'll eventually get. So if we can really start to think about how are people interacting with the work that we're doing, the built environment or our leadership or me as a person, and think, does that vote to where I want to be later on? And that one-liner is pretty much what I use with all of my... um, Oh, I'm just looking at the next slide, and it's got even more skewiff than the one we're swearing on. So this is going to be interesting what happens next. Um, So, yeah, thinking about every interaction is a vote towards a culture that you'll get. And I think that's a really good kind of heuristic for us to just have in our brains. Yeah, so basically, if if you've seen Batari's box, you'll know what this looks like. But basically, if you imagine that says my attitude, you can just see it there. My behaviour, your attitude, your behaviour. So if you think about interactions between me and you... um, me and uh, my team member, for example, my attitude will affect my behaviour. So if I going to work a bit grumpy, that will affect my behaviour. And then when we interact, it will affect your attitude, which affects your behaviour. And then your behaviour affects my attitude and so on and so forth. And that interaction just keeps going round and round and round. And that's with everything that we do. So if you just think about that a little bit more critically within your one-to-one interactions, that will help. But we have to think more critically. And interestingly, the next slide's gone squiff as well, which is a shame, because I do think this is one of the the most important ones. Um, Hands up, you've heard of Plan, Do, Check, Act? Yeah, pretty much everyone in the room's heard of Plan, Do, Check, Act. Demons' original model was Plan, Do, Study, Act, not Plan, Do, Check, Act. And I think when you take the word study out and you put check, it really changes the dynamic of what we're trying to achieve. Check, for me, sounds like I've planned, and you'll do. And then I'll come along and I'll tell you what you've done wrong. And it feels very stick and carrot to me. Study feels very different. Study feels like we're going to plan, we're going to do, and then I'm going to have a look and I'm going to try and help you do what you need to do. But study is trying to understand why things went wrong. Check for me feels like just observing things going wrong and then doing a bit of blame, shame and retrain maybe. So I try and emphasise study, but yeah, the slide's gone screw which is a shame, but You get the the gist of it. So, really, it's all about the context, the context of why things make sense to us in the time. No one shoves their hand in a machine knowing they're going to lose it. They did it because it made sense to them in the moment. So, if we study instead of check, we can start to understand that context. So, we need to study the context. And context is really bloody hard to kind of get your head around and I've been trying to get my head around it for a long time and at the moment we've at Risk Fluent kind of come up with this which is a mix of many different theories and many different models and I would like to just make very clear that all models are wrong but some are useful so if this is not useful to you then it's wrong for you and I think that's really important it's not about tribal- tribalistically sticking to one model it's just finding what works for you and this seems to work for us for now and basically in every situation what we think there are situational factors, the weather, the team on the day, the different contractors on site on that day, and so on and so forth. The organisational factors, the policies, the procedures, the investment, the resources, plant material and so on. The cultural things like the norms and the attitudes and the kind of unwritten priorities, not the stuff you print on your lanyards and put on your coffee cups, but the things that your behaviours actually echo throughout the organisation. And then the human. The human is ultimately what, when I remember doing my knee wash, I remember the guy saying to me, if we didn't have humans, safety would be really interesting and really easy. I was like, wow, that's really nice. That's uh, something to take with you. And I don't think that's true. I think humans are phenomenal. We couldn't do what we do every single day uh, without humans, but we are fallible. You can just Google humans do stupid stuff for like one minute and get loads of examples of how how fallible we are, but ultimately... We are also amazing, and your humans and your team succeed every single day in spite of all of those other factors. But every single one of these factors has weaknesses, and that's why we use this Swiss cheese model. So you've all seen the Swiss cheese model, layers of safety, and we typically talk about risk assessment, guarding, training, and so on. And we think that actually it's not enough. We need to think about where's our layers of safety for the situation, the organisation, the culture, and the human. They're all layers, from positive and negative, and they all have weaknesses and strengths. Um, The ones towards the top are more obvious, so organisation and situation are more obvious. We can see them, we can feel them a little bit more. The ones on the bottom are a bit weird, they're a bit hard and woolly for us to grab onto. So we can focus a lot more on the top, um, but we we must not forget the ones down the bottom. The ones on the right are more influenced uh, by the strategy and the leadership, and the ones on the left are a little bit more influenced dynamically and operationally. But again, just remember that all models are wrong, but some are useful. This is more of a guide just to help us think about things. It's not something to get tattooed on your body and live your life by. One of the most important things to be able to get that context and find out what that means and what that looks like is to build psychological safety in your organisation. Psychological safety has become very popular of late, and, and I think for a good reason. Um, if you want to find out more, just Google Amy Edmondson. Um, she's amazing and she pretty much coined the term and did all the work there and her book is really good as well. But basically what it's all about is decreasing that in, in the moment interpersonal fear, like being scared to speak up and increasing that kind of constructive challenging and sharing of ideas and so on. But there's one thing, two things actually that we miss when we talk about psychological safety, is that we can have psychological safety, but if we don't have clarity, meaning we don't understand that this is the time to speak up, and I am the person to speak up, this is my role and I understand it, it's the organisation's purpose and our principle is coming all the way back to the ethical framework in the beginning, um, then I'm not going to speak up even if I do feel safe. And addition, if I'm not motivated to speak up, then I'm not going to either, even if I do feel safe. So motivation is about, I raised something a couple of years ago and, no one, and nothing happened, nothing changed. Now, I'm not saying we always, always must do something when people do, raise things, but we should be going back and disclosing to them as to why we didn't do something and explain and bring them on the journey with us. So we can have psychological safety, but if we don't have motivation and clarity, then psychological safety is just a complete waste. So if you want a high-performing team, you need to give them clarity on what they're doing and what their role is and what the organisation's role is. Make sure they're motivated to share with you their ideas and their criticisms and so on, and then make sure they feel safe to do it as well. So ultimately, if we were to kind of summarise this all in one, it's understanding that the culture, the organisation, the human and the situation influence our behaviours. Those behaviours, when in a group, e.g., an organisation, they become interactions. Those interactions over time become your culture. So if you want to influence your culture, focus on those interactions. Think that each interaction is a vote to the culture that you want to achieve and focus on that. And eventually, fingers crossed, you'll start to see your culture emerge. And if you don't, let me know, because I need to change my keynote. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've been James McPherson from Fluent, Wrist- <clears throat> Rebalancing Safety. <laughs> One interruption at a time. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that episode. Hope you got something from it. Um, if you need any help with this stuff, check out RisfluentLtd.com or you can email me, James, at RiskFluentLTD.com dot com if you haven't subscribed already help us up that subscription rate just because it's a cool metric to have and um, i really like you know watching it grow so hit the subscribe button if you haven't already if you've got any ideas for uh, something you want us to talk about something you want us to do on the youtube channel drop us a message and otherwise i'll catch you next week safe the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilized in real life as the only solution available assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies